The epistle for today's Mass, this 19th Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Brethren, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, who, according to God, is created in justice and holiness of truth. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak you the truth, every man with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your anger. Give not place to the devil. He that stole, let him now steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have something to give to him that suffers need. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus spoke to the chief priests and the Pharisees in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who made a marriage for his son, and he sent his servants to call them that were invited to the marriage, and they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell them that were invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My beeves and fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come you to the marriage. But they neglected, and they went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise, and the rest laid hands on his servants, and having treated them contumeliously, put them to death. When the king had heard of it, he was angry, and sending his armies, he destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The marriage indeed is ready, but they that were invited were not worthy. Go you therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, call into the marriage. And his servants, going forth into the ways, gathered together all that they found, both bad and good, and the marriage was filled with guests. And the king went in to see the guests, and he saw there a man who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in hither, not having on a wedding garment? But he was silent. Then the king said to the waiters, Bind his hands and feet, and cast him into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and the gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, of all the ceremonies, the many ceremonies of the Church, I think traditional Catholics are often quite familiar with the ceremony of baptism. And the reason is because by the grace of God and our fidelity to, to what God wants of us, um, there are many children in our parishes. And between the baptisms of, of their own children or their godchildren or their, their, their grandchildren, um, traditional Catholics have been, been able to observe the ceremony of baptism many, many times. And as such, you, probably most of you know that the church ends the, the ceremony of baptism by presenting to the newly baptized two gifts. One is a garment, a white garment, and the other is a candle, a lit candle. So the white garment corresponds to today's parable that's found in Matthew 22, and the burning camel corresponds to another parable we're very familiar with, a parable of the ten virgins that is found in Matthew 25. Both of these parables are about a wedding feast. Our Lord loves to use the wedding feast as an image of the eternal heavenly banquet. 
It's our Lord's favorite image of heaven because wedding feasts are often um, some of the most joyful occasions on this earth. And of course, in heaven, we'll be joyful forever. And you may know that it's a rule in the, in the literary world that if you're writing a play and you want to make it a comedy, in other words, you want to make it uh, a piece of, of literature that has a happy ending, it's a hard and fast rule that in the end, there's got to be one or more weddings. Uh, a happy ending is, is to end with a wedding. Just read the, the comedies of Shakespeare and you will see that that's the case. All of them end with one or more marriages. So we want the story of our life to end with us entering into an eternal wedding feast, the eternal banquet of heaven. And the church wants this as well. And so on the day that we um, receive the garment of grace in our soul, the very life of God, she presents us with a symbol of what our soul looks like. It's white, it's pure, it's radiant, it's brilliant with grace. So she gives us the white garment and she says to us, receive this white garment. May you wear it without stain before the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ so that you may have life everlasting. So when we die, it's really crucial that our soul be white with the life of God and not be black with the stains of our own sins. Last week, I spoke to you about the spiritual realm being much more important than the physical realm. And today, I just want to speak to you about our interior, the state of our soul, being much more important than the exterior and how we have to value the interior more than the way we appear, the way we look to the world outside of us, so that we can be motivated to treasure that garment of grace that clothes our soul more than anything else. You may know that this was one of our Lord's greatest battles when he was in, um, in his public life going around teaching to convince people that the interior was much more important than the exterior. To get people to value that which can be seen by God alone, their insides, because none of us can read the souls of, of, of each other. We can only see what appears to the senses, but God can see that interior. That we value that, what God sees, much more than what all of us can see of one another. This effort of our Lord can be seen in, in a very explicit fashion by his criticism of the Pharisees his great combats with the Pharisees, his diatribes even against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were men who judged everything according to external actions that only concerned material things. They were absolutely obsessed that everyone washed their hands and other parts of their body at the right time. And they assessed whether people were good or bad, whether they washed themselves in this way, in the right, according to the right rituals. The Pharisees wore clothing that made them appear holier than anyone else. They made that box of the Ten Commandments, the phylactery that you wore on your forehead, they made it bigger and bigger and bigger to try to show that they were more devout. You know, we know that our Lord wore a phylactery because it's on the shroud, but our Lord's phylactery was a little, little tiny box. See, we didn't have one of those mega phylacteries that tried to prove that he was holier than everybody else. They made the tassels of their garments much longer to make themselves seem more devout. And when they prayed or fasted, they made sure that they would do it in public. 
And they would make sure that they prayed longer than anybody else. And when everybody else was done and walking away, they stayed there. Showed that they were holier than other people, at least on the outside. For the Pharisees, religion was purely an external thing. It was only about how your body looked or what your body did that mattered in your relationship with God. And what was happening on the inside of your soul did not matter. It was all about appearances, how they looked before men. And one of the interesting things uh, that about from my trip to the Holy Land was to see the parallel between the Jews of the first century and the Jews of the 21st century. To this day, the, the devout Orthodox Jews, they hardly allow themselves to move a muscle on Saturdays. It's, they, they have very strict external practices that they have to adhere to. They cannot drive their cars. They cannot cook. They cannot do anything that even resembles lighting a fire, including using electricity. That's why on the Sabbath they can't turn their lights on. And they can't push a button. They can't even push a button on a technological device. They can't put a button on the microwave. If there's a Gentile around, they'll get the, the Gentile to push the button for them. Or if they go into an elevator, they can't push the button on the elevator. They have to wait till someone comes in and they ask that, that person. So hopefully a Gentile will enter the elevator. They will ask that person to push the button for the floor. It's, it's purely external. There's nothing in any of this about the dispositions of their soul. So this is a conception of religion that reduces everything to the material level. Only that which appears to the senses is what matters. It's almost like your real self is your body, what can be seen, and the soul matters nothing. If you do the rituals and you follow the rules, you're good with God. Even if you're stealing, lying, cheating, committing adultery, and let's not forget with the Pharisees, even if you're committing murder, because they put our Lord Jesus Christ to death. In the eyes of the world, they were the most religious of men, but in reality, they put innocence to death. The best place to, to go to see what our Lord thinks about all of this is the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We call it the Gospel of Matthew is primarily written for the Jews, and that's why we find St. Matthew really hammering this point that a purely external religion is worthless in the eyes of God. In Matthew 23, you find our Lord condemning the hypocrisies of the Pharisees at great length, using all manner of images to point out how they're pretty on the outside and they're really ugly on the inside. Their body is clothed in nice garments, they look religious, but their soul is a filthy, stinking mess. He says the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. You go to a cemetery, you see a beautiful tombstone. It's so wonderful, it's white, it's radiant. But you dig in the tomb, what do you see? You see a rotting corpse that stinks. That's what the Pharisees are like, says our Lord. And they're like a cup in a bowl that someone makes all clean on the outside. They polish it on the outside, and you look at the cup of the bowl, and you say, this is so beautiful. But then you look inside, and it's got the leftovers from last week. And there's flies around, and there's, it's, it's, it smells, it stinks. It's just purely external. And so our Lord says of the Pharisees, outwardly, 
you appear to men to be just, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's his final judgment on their religion. Consistently throughout the Gospels, the words of our Lord against the Pharisees are damning. They're harsh. They're full of vituperation against the Pharisees. They're brutally frank, his assessment of them. There is nothing we could say, if we read the gospel closely, there's nothing so odious to the sacred heart than the heart of these Pharisees. They are the villains of the gospel story, the worst of sinners, the enemy of all that is true and right and just in this world. Because of their entire focus on the external and their total neglect of the internal. The main characteristic of them is that, that they care only for the exterior and nothing for the interior. Consider even how odious the common people of the world throughout the history of mankind, how just the, the common man hates, likewise, that hypocrisy. Whenever they, we find that in people, we do not like it. We find it disgusting. Recently, in, in our own times, there's been a new phrase coined for, for the modern Pharisee-like hypocrisy. It's the phrase virtue signaling. People speak of virtue signaling. And it, this is a, a way of conveying how modern people sometimes just do things because they know it will make them look good in the eyes of political correctness, in the eyes of the world. There's a certain ex expectation on the part of society that you behave this way, and so you go out of your way to do these things. Regardless of, of, of what you feel about it, you just do it to look good because it's considered to be acceptable behavior, not because it has any relation to the worth of your, of your soul. So if, if saving whales is considered to be the best behavior, then you make sure to go out into the ocean, you get yourself photographed with, with an expedition that's against whaling. Or if helping refugees come into the country is considered the best thing, then you go to the refugee camp and you, 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 you photograph yourself weeping or, or, or shouting, you know, your, your anger and your, your righteous wrath against what's, what's going on there. If being the victim of male patriarchy is the way to show your virtue, then you make sure to show your, your solidarity with the victims whenever. It doesn't really matter. Whatever the world wants them to do, they make sure they get themselves photographed doing it so they look good on the outside to men, regardless of what they actually are on the inside. And the reason why people find this virtue signaling odious is because they know it's a sham. It's just play acting. It's not real. All these virtue signaling zealots are perfectly liable to change their behavior completely if something else becomes virtuous tomorrow. And tomorrow's acceptable behavior could be the complete opposite of yesterday's acceptable behavior. If lobbying for the extinction of whales becomes good tomorrow, then those same people will be out there trying to kill the whales. So everyone sees that these people have no principles. They have no conviction in their souls. They have only the pretty appearances in the things that they do. And we all know that it's not real. It's, it's utterly fake. How do we know this? We know it because we realize 
we all realize that our real worth is on our interior, the dispositions of our soul. It's not what people see. That is your real worth. That is the real you, not what people see. It's what God sees that is the true assessment of your value. It's the inside that's the real you. The soul and what clothes it indicates your true worth, not what is adorning your body or how you may appear in the eyes of others. This is what our Lord clarifies for the apostles in the Gospel of Matthew, this time chapter 15. He says, Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles a man. Whatsoever enters into the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the privy. But the things which proceed out of the mouth, they come forth from the heart. And those things defile a man. For from the heart come forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And this is the lesson that we must carry with us at all times. If, if we're to have any worth in the eyes of God, what is the real me? Who am I? In all truths, in my heart of hearts, what is my true value as a human being? It is your interior. It is what goes on on the inside Beyond what any of us can see, it is your thoughts, the dispositions of your soul, your heart of hearts, that ultimate core that is seen by God alone. That is what must concern you more than anything else. The way that your soul is clothed, not your body, will determine your ultimate fate. God sees that right now. I can't see it. The people around you can't see that. But God himself sees it. He is going to be your judge. He's seen all of the activities that have taken place in your soul from the day that you were created, from the day of your conception. And he will continue to see them until the day of your death. And we have to be conscious of that. And we have to be very sensitive to what he sees. You, no matter how much you're able to fool the people around you, you will never fool God. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you must make, want your soul to be beautiful in your sight because He judges, He judges justly. He judges truly. What you are in the sight of God is what you are. Even we traditional Catholics can be subject to a certain species of virtue signaling. And this happens when we're more concerned about the way we appear before our fellow Catholics than we're concerned about how we appear before God. It happens when we commit grave sins in secret, but we're very careful to appear devout before others. We have never commit these sins if people were around us, but we're not afraid when only God sees us committing them. The worst manifestation of this, in my mind, is the sacrilegious communion. 
And there are some who are much more worried about the respect that they receive from others, from their fellow Catholics, than the respect they receive from God. And as such, when they have this dilemma, should I go to the communion rail and receive Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin, or do I remain in my pew and look bad before my fellow Catholics? They choose to approach the communion rail. The priest doesn't know. The people around them don't know. But God knows. And they walk away from the communion happy that they have saved face before their fellow Catholics and not so concerned that they've lost face in the eyes of God. That interior, which is seen by our Lord and Our Lady, is filthy. It's dirty. But they're not so concerned about that. The garment of their soul is defiled. The angels shudder. And on the last day, that sacrilegious communion will be brought up before the entire human race. God is not going to be mocked. Justice will be served in the end. People either have to find out now or they will find out later. And the same is true for all sins which seek to save appearances before men by losing face before God, whether it be lying or we trick people we think we're telling the truth but we're not, or viewing things alone that we would never view with others present, or by putting on an act before others in order to gain their esteem. Or flattery, or any of these sins that are deceptive. So my dear faithful, our interior, the state of our immortal soul, is really what indicates our true worth. What we are really. And that must concern us more than anything else in this, in this life. One day, the day that we die, we will stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and he will look us in the eyes with, with the eyes of his humanity. And that, that gaze that he will cast upon us will penetrate more deeply than the gaze of any other human eyes that have looked at us in our whole life. He will see whether we are a hypocrite or if we are true. He will see our real self. When we're true to our Lord, we are true because he is the truth. This is the one thing that we have to ensure in this life, that we are faithful to him above all people and above all things. He is the only one. His gaze is the only one that really you should be worried about. Don't worry about what other people see in you. It doesn't really matter. Even if they get you wrong, you do think you're bad when you're good. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what God thinks of you because... That is the truth. Do not live a lie, but live that new life that's described by St. Paul in the Gospel, a life which he describes as being created by God and which is lived in justice and the holiness of truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.